0: What is good everybody? My name is Tim Karen, and this is the Performance Health Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about testing hardware and software with our co-host Sean Hayes. Sean had brought a lot of really interesting notes on the practical way to think about using certain hardware within your testing and how that should shape and form your overall profiling of your athletes as well as how to give the best information to the people making decisions and the people that need to understand why those decisions are being made, i.e. your coaches and athletes. This was a really deep episode and we went to a lot of areas from research, certain books, a lot of different talking points from practical learning experiences. This is a This is going to be a good one. I hope you guys really enjoy this. If you guys aren't a member, you can get access to all of these web shows at an earlier rate than people listening to just the podcast, as well as you can see the entire video minus all of the other introductory transitional stuff, and you can get access to the transcripts, which I sync a lot of the notes. So I'll dial in a specific research article when Sean brings up certain points, and then we have all those suggested resources and material through the curriculum and other books to dive into after you're done with the web show, all by being a member at the PH curriculum at phpodcast.com. So I highly suggest you become a member ASAP. So stop, pause, go sign up for a membership, get access to all this great information and content on phpodcast.com. Thanks guys. Let's get into it. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably means you were a strength coach or want to be a strength coach. And man, do I have the resource for you. It's called How to Become a Strength Coach, Periodizing Your Career in Strength Conditioning. This is your start to finish seminal resource to get you to becoming the best possible strength coach you can ever be. You can get your copy along with access to our course at phpodcast.com. This is a must-have for any strength conditioning coach or any aspiring strength conditioning coach out there. It will not only give you a step-by-step tutorial on how to become a strength coach, it will help you optimize your career every step of the way. Absolute must-have. If you like this podcast,
1: get the book. Okay, Tim, we're talking hardware and software for our uh, performance testing module. What are the big things we need to know when it comes to this topic? I think we just gotta start
0: at the end, right? What is ma- what is meaningful? So we've been talking about this pretty much this whole month of what is the point of any test It's to give us some sort of, I guess, indicator if we're making progress or we're not. So if we're looking at this idea of KPIs or OKRs or just trying to wrap this whole month in a bow, it's got to be relevant to what we need to be successful in sport so that's a good place to start right and we talked about it in performance testing we talked about it in structural balance assessment we talked about it in fitness testing is this idea that there's certain things that are just simply more correlated than others right if we look at a team sport that's anaerobic lactic that requires a lot of change of direction open environments there's going to be tests that we know we can lean in on so that would be I guess, the best place to start and to start to figure out tests that, yes, there's going to be a potentially weak or loose correlation, but there's still a correlation. And the other part is, are the things that we're training or the qualities of training translating and transferring to that sport? And do we have the test to corroborate progress in that or not? I mean, I think we can just go off the list of some sort of jump, some sort of sprint, some sort of throw for distance, I think is probably a universal, they're better at being an athlete and the training indicated something. So this way it's that. And I look at that as like the functional movement screen for, for athletic profiling, right? This generic running faster, jumping higher, and then throwing something further is the, I guess, all-encompassing thing of what you do well and what you don't do well. And as I look through the profiling and we talked about in the performance of creating that like spider chart and saying where they fall on percentile, and you can get a pretty good clue of where your program was really, really good in, as well as where your program was efficient. And the other big part, we always talk about this and go through all the modules we have on the website, the exercise, the protocol, the methods, everything is a means to an end. The question is what that end. And if the end is a test like a jump, a throw, or a sprint, then the means have to accommodate that. If the end is being resilient during the course of a season and be able to play all twelve games in college football plus maybe two, three postseason games, that means is now resiliency, right? Is supported by resiliency, and I, that's where I would start with this, Corey. Is this idea of what do you want and what's going to support that and what's going to give you this better indicator of that and then we go through the other aspect of if you don't hit that mark then you have to effectively evaluate two big things right we could look at the hypothesis in which you came up or constructed your training program or we can look at the actual ac- execution of that so back to what wills was talking about is like it's really hard to really predict performance potential off of maybe tests that aren't that are overly specific to that one particular task but the other side of it is we can test the quality of the intervention or at least the thought behind the intervention. And that would be what potentially is the transference to the actual performance, right? The the long, steady progress we made in terms of proving velocity or force or power or capacity. And it's transference to what we need to do during competitive sports is substantiated by that actual test and the test should go up or
1: in the positive direction based off of the training efforts that we do. Right. So it essentially it boils down to it should be solving a problem. Yeah, that's it. You mentioned a couple there, uh sprinting, jumping, throwing, like what tests do you specifically do with athletes? Top of the list,
0: countermember jump is easily one of the most supported and probably universal things to say, okay, the the program's working, right? We have a lot of research articles we we utilize for this one, right? And we looked at vertical jump, counter movement jump as the proxy to determine pretty much everything, right? If all else fails, you're doing that. And for context, I work with general populations, and we still test counter movement jump on a weekly basis. And it goes into a different construct of readiness as well as potentially the Standard deviations are telling us more about what we can get from a frequency and a a actual retention standpoint, right? So when we start to see anomalies, that becomes red flags. But I would attribute my year round approaches to in season, right? Like you're not expecting to see these huge jumps or steady progress for counter movement jump in season, but you should still therefore test it to start to understand the impact of anomalies, and that goes into this idea of. What's very familiar and common and very well accepted as a, a pretty performance indicator is going to have a baseline, right? We know what your jump profile looks like over a period of time just from the simple familiarity with it, right? We know, we know a good jump, right? We, we know what that is. Like the, the football 40 inch skill guy, the, the football 35 inch combo guy, the football 30 inch interior lineman guy. Like these, these are the higher percentile number. That we can associate with that's a guy, right? As we call him in football. And then off of that, we can start to go, okay, what's what's the percentile someone goes through on that? And that was a big part of strength deficit, which we talked about, the difference between counter movement and non-counter movement jump and where you fall percentile in terms of your counter movement jump, if you're inside the box, is not as relevant as where you fall percentile and non-counter movement jump, and vice versa for outside the box for for counter movement over non-counter movement. But the reason behind that is, and the value in that, and this hope is a, what came across in the book and the courses was it's familiar and it connects to your athletes and coaches, right? One of the bigger problems when we start to look at advanced data collection and acquiring more hardware and then utilizing more statistical software and athlete management software and dashboard software is this lack of connectedness to the people that need that information to make either decisions or understand why they're doing something. And if I look at a very advanced statistical analysis off of a jump profile, which we utilize for stack in our facilities, that can give us hundreds of metrics at any given moment. How do you articulate that to your coach of like, hey, RSI is in a good spot? Like, What does that mean? Why do I care about that? Why don't? And it's a small number too, right? Like, you know, it's a point it's a decimal number, so it feels odd. Like, oh, 0.57, that's elite level RSI. Seems like a really small number. Mm. Yeah, I know, but it's the time they are spending on the plate versus the time they are spending in the air. It's gonna be a small number. The, small, uh, the, the bigger the number means more time in the air. Like, well, why don't you just tell me how, how high they jump, because I'm more familiar with that. And that's a good lesson, right? Like, you can get in the weeds and go through this, like, advanced software and advanced hardware analysis. But if it doesn't translate to the person that needs that information to make a decision from, all right, who's playing, who's not playing, how long practices and what we need to do versus the other, the person needs to understand why we're doing it of, hey, I I need to know the training is actually leading into a net positive result because my my life and my livelihood, my performance, everything is tied into this. And if you're talking in just complete Sanskrit to the the athlete or the coach, you kind of lost your way a little bit. Just because you have accessibility to advanced things doesn't mean you have to, you have you have to get away from people that need to know that information or need to know why that information is important. And as I look through, you know, the the bigger picture here and looking at counter movement jump, the beautiful thing about it, it's very familiar and it's easily associated. And I would argue too, it's a lot more accessible. It's hard to do sprint testing year-round. And there is a method, right? And we can go through all of the now timing gates and looking at if we're doing anything short sprint wise, just put a timer on it and see what what number it is. And you can start to create baseline for that until you can't and until you're in season and you know, okay, like this is a big proverbial like risk I'm taking, right? Let's say that we're doing some sort of sprint testing in season and you're always riding on the razor's edge of like, what is, what is necessary and what is actually applicable to their day-to-day workloads and performances. Okay, well I would argue sprint testing is not as accessible. I'd also argue something like a backwards overhead med ball throw needs space, needs time to slow test and you need a huge area to do it. And if you're in the Northeast or in a cold weather climate, it's hard to find places to do that. And it takes a long time, so if it's really cold, and you're getting one throw per minute for three minutes and then sitting around for another five, six. It's a slow test and it's not really great for every situation in the environment versus jump, like stand on the plate, calibrate the plate, stand on the plate, jump three times, about 30 seconds to a minute tops They can get through a team in a very quick fashion. And yeah, they might not give their best effort, but you got the data, and that eff- that lack there of effort could be indicative of their willingness or motivation to do something and then you cooperate that too. statistically we were we have an anomaly or we have a standard deviation that is not what we want then you look at wellness and you look at other things that we can track and go okay well sleep quality was down stress is down mood is down soreness is up all these things are going in the wrong direction from a training standpoint or i should say right direction because we are imposing stress and the thing that we need to evaluate is are we giving enough time for letting that athlete adapt and transmutate and positively impact or have a positive impact from what they're doing? And jump profiling does that and gives that baseline. But I, to answer your question succinctly, I think probably the most important one would be jumping and looking at that from what does it look like? And we'll go through hardware here in a second, but it just really comes down to how high they're jumping and then you can get in the weeds on all the other nuance of that and see what the impact from some of these other metrics and how it it translates
1: to some other things that you may be seeing. Right, and that's a good point. I'm like, it's very easy for us as someone who understands it to be like, oh, this is relatively simple. Like RSI, time on the air, time on the plate. Like, that's what it is. Here's why it's important, sport coach. Like, that's it. We're going to measure this. And they're just like, yeah, I, I still don't care. Like, I get it. You think that's important, but how are they jumping? Like, okay, yeah, I get it. Lesson learned. And you you talked about some of the hardware, but what hardware specifically are you using to collect all that information? Yeah, it's awesome to go
0: full circle in life, right? So, 20 years ago, I can remember sitting in a lab in Springfield College, and we're standing on like these two metal plates, and someone's like, "Hey, get off the force plate," and no no idea why we had that or what we used it for because it was like basically a dust collector. And then you look at it, maybe 10. Five years ago, like there was a uptick in a lot of companies start to reintegrate force plates into a team setting and now commercial setting. And honestly, I would say that is a indispensable tool that we look at now. I don't know if I could do my job without it. And it's amazing, right? Like it, it, I, I probably could, to be honest, but I would look at it in terms of the, the influence that it has on my program and the influence it has on my my setup of every training session, the influence it has on the way I communicate and interact with athletes, the, the feedback I get for the program. And again, going back to I work with Jen Pop and we jump them every week. And in reality, you know, it's this concept of if they're detrained, we should see that go up. If they are limited exposure to functional athletic performance, that should go up if we're decreasing asymmetries, if we're increasing these biomotor qualities of force and velocity, that should go up. And it just substantiates the decisions that you're making. Like, Does that 100% correlate to body comp? No. But there's there's a connection, right? If you increase your lean body mass, you should have more of the contractile tissue to create force. If you decrease your fat mass, you're basically eliminating excess body mass and you have to do less overall work and overcoming your body mass isn't as challenging. So inertia is not as necessarily as a bigger limiting factor. The eccentric force isn't so violent. The stretch shortening cycle is less dissipated from overcoming your body mass. that's still descending down. There's a lot of variables that go into if I'm going up, probably means something's going right. And I think that is an important thing to note. Uh, and the question would be is if it's not going up, what do you need to do, and that this is an element. It's we should look at this holistically and say, "Am I really serving the the greater needs of my clients and athletes?" If that's not going up, so force plates really good. And um, one of the things I want to talk about, and Devin's actually been a um, guest on our podcast, was Devin McConnell's intent, and I think they did a really good job of breaking down this gold, silver, bronze, and I think it's a good way to look at it. And, and I, I would argue. Bronze is more specific or more relevant to someone's direct needs. So the question will be, if I work at a high school or if I'm in a private facility and we are struggling every month to make ends meet and I can't afford a force plate, what do I do? Do I not even test? And the answer is no, you absolutely test. You just got to find a cheaper alternative. And it might mean a jump mat, which is fine. I might necessarily mean like a standing long jump and just getting a tape measure out and testing something week to week. And the reality is, is yes, gold, silver, bronze from the quality information, the reliability, the validity, all the great things from more powerful tools can give this appearance of superiority. But the other elephant in the room is if you don't know how to break down all that data and all of that information, and if you're not having great testing procedures of All right, here, zero out the plates, get your weight, hands on your waist, go down to a a distance down towards the ground that you feel comfortable that you can recover from, but not belabor the issue. Land, reset, let's get the number, and then go two more jumps. Having good testing procedures, that might be out the window. Or the other end, if you don't know how to break down all that data, it's gonna be out the window. And that's the elephant in the room of more is not better, more expensive is not always better. So yes, gold, silver, bronze is a pretty easy way and it's pretty memorable, but you know, like I would look at it from what do your resources and skills allow for you to do and just be very reliable with your testing. After that, I would look at potentially like if you're in a team setting, obviously a GPS. Of note on the GPS, there's accelerometer and then there's accelerometer, accelerometer gyroscope based. The thing that you always got to interpret with a lot of this stuff. So if you're wearing a wearable, It's finding a a metric that they can jump in on. And then what they do is through whether it's machine learning or artificial intelligence is start to take that data and start to find trends and patterns. And that creates algorithms and that creates this output of a metric, right? So if I look at a GPS as accelerometer base, which is basically looking at like just rate of displacement and overall displacement, not necessarily looking at where you're oriented in space, like a gyroscope. It's assuming when you stop and start, that's a change of direction. It's assuming when you have a certain rate of change, or a certain rate that you're moving, that's acceleration in a certain direction based off of another change of direction. It's not the worst thing in the world, right? It's not like awful, but it's an interpretation off of information they don't have. And that's a lot to be said about all of these hardwares, right? There's there's always an assumption that this is giving a great baseline on pulse and heart rate. And then they can determine heart rate variability off of that, or if I'm wearing a whoop or from wearing anything. And then it's creating workloads and it's creating trim scores and other metrics that are extrapolating off of how they're collecting that information to begin with. And when we're looking at GPS and you're looking at a unit that could potentially be way more expensive because it has both gyroscope and accelerometer. That could lead into a difference of really massive data swings, right? And this is why you see such variance for things like workloads and IMA left, IMA right, high velocity sprinting, all these different data points. If you were to compare and contrast it, a lot of times when you do a compare and contrast of, and we'll talk about VBT in a second, of this sensor versus actually tether strap, you can see huge, huge variances. And I think could get into, well, this is right. Whoop is wrong. Whoop is right or is wrong. Catapult's right. Uh, MVP sports is wrong or, or uh, cricket's wrong. Like, to be honest, like, there's going to be shortcomings for all hardware. The thing that I would say is get married to being really good with your testing procedures and your methods and how you collect that data. Because at the end of the day, all these guys who are selling these products are going to convince you this is good enough or this is enough. And the other end of it, you're thinking about the available resources you have. Uh, if I have $20,000 to spend on GPS units for my entire football team. I can get 10 catapults or I can get 30, 30 crickets or 30 of GP sport. I'm not going to sit there and say one's better than the other, one's right and one's wrong. I'm not. If I can get my whole offense and defense knowing one's accelerometer only, versus I can only get 10 of my best players, and who knows if that's actually enough to make actually informed decisions, I would argue you probably need to assess that. But aside from that, because you're going to be in front of GP Sport and Catapult, and their job is to sell you on buying it, just like you're going to get four stack involved or four stack involved and Hawkins and their force plate and Sparta and their force plate. And they're all going to tell you like, no, it's this, it's that, this, and the other, the end of the day, whatever decision you make, it still has to be on the other end, great testing methods and procedures. And if you, you don't evaluate that, then no matter what company to do and like the impartialness or the, the bias towards this place is better or that's better or I'm an aura guy, you're a whoop guy. Like, it's, it's not it's not constructive, right? That That's the process. Like, I don't know enough about near-infrared spectrometry to know this is more accurate than Whoop, but I know they'll tell me it's more accurate than Whoop. Seems convenient. And I'm not trying to say it's not, but I'm just saying if I talk to Whoop, they're going to tell me this is less accurate. And I think that's everything, right? Because it's their word, right? They are essentially the companies doing their own research. It's the same thing as everything that's ever existed between... Anything that's been retailed or sold. It's I've gotta convince you that my product is superior in some way. And the the reliability testing that we did was supported by this. But on the other end, it goes into you can't control that. And are they making updates? Yeah, that could change everything. The only thing that doesn't change is your testing methods and procedures. And if those are in place, you're gonna be really good. And lastly, I would talk about velocity based training, which again, tether versus sensor, one's gonna be Different, and they're just going to be different. And I would look at terms of like you know, as Devin talked about, an intent of this idea versus, and Justin, um this idea of gold versus bronze versus silver. Like again, what can we afford? Right? There's units for two thousand. There's units for three hundred. And if we're putting it on the bar the same place that we have this, it's a vertical transducer. So if it's a tether, so if we know that we're lining up vertically over the bar, and and we're not at this horizontal angle, and we are meticulous about taking notes and we're meticulous about timing it and making sure that we quality control and have a great rep and set integrity every time. That's good data. You know, it's just good data. And it could be cost you 300 bucks a unit, but if you're doing it right way, it's really good data. You could have a $2,000 unit and you could have horrible methods and horrible procedures It's bad data. It's a good tool. It's a great tool. It has a potential to be more, more reliable and valid. But on the other end, if your methods and procedures think, then that doesn't matter, right? And I think that's the that's the crutch of all this. It's taking ownership of more expensive is not better if you don't really evaluate your processes and how to get yourself in a good position to get good data. Uh, so that would be my big three, looking at jumping, looking at
1: looking at GPS, looking at velocity. That's a really good point about uh, methods and procedures. We got to make sure that we're comparing apples to apples. If your methods and procedures aren't lined up, like you said, it's bad data. You're comparing apples and oranges. It doesn't necessarily line up. So you're not going to get what you need out of that information. And, you know, to echo what you said, intent is a really good book that lays it out in a nice way, but it comes back to what problem is that tech solving for you and how are you going to use it? How do you need it? Making sure those methods and procedures are all lined up and we get so much like instant feedback and it drives these discussion like, hey coach, why aren't my jumps going up? Well, how's your sleep? Uh, How's your nutrition? Are you hitting all your sets and reps? Or are you skipping sets and reps over here? Cause you're just wasting your time there and it's manifesting right here, and I can see it. So it just drives those discussions. And it's it's that instant feedback that you get. That that can help with, you know, some of those tougher groups that need that buy-in. They they want that feedback. They they don't necessarily see the connection, but some of this tech can help in bridging that gap. Yeah. And I would make a point on that. I'm sorry to cut you off on that. Like
0: the thing that you realize is. You need help when you're in a group and you need things to hold everyone accountable or to a standard, right? And you just simply say, this is our standard, right? So, you know, like we'll collect wellness, we'll collect sleep quantity, we'll collect jumps, we'll collect velocity data. And all those things will have a certain in interpretation based off the situation, right? Like when someone comes in and had a crappy night's sleep and they only got an hour to train, And they know if they put twos and threes on their wellness out of five, that that might be interpreted as, okay, well, you got to go lighter, or you got to take a little bit more break between your sets, or you might need to cut volume. So they, what I call them manifesting wellness, and they put fives across the board. And I can always tell what that number really is based off their lack thereof compliance and putting in their sleep quantity if they're not putting in their sleep quantity i'm going to go ahead and say sleep quality was a at least at most of two their stress is at most of two their mood is at most of two they're just trying to say that they can overcome and rise and adapt now on the other end okay well how is that going to influence something like a jump again like jump performance will be chances are really down Right, and that could be from just overtraining, overreaching, or just not being in a prepared state. Again, like that information is going to be largely at the responsibility of that athlete. And you go, okay, like, wellness is down, jumps down. I think you should go lighter. I think you should get more rest. I think you should cut volume. we Will be met with some sort of of uh, attached feelings to this is my only hour I can train in the next three days, or. This is important day because we've got testing next week, or I've been busting my ass all summer. I don't want to take a day, I don't want to take a down day. And it's like the deload strategy of like, that's why you gotta frame it. It's like it's a reload. We're just building up so we can go up. But like there's a high probability for working with motivated, intrinsically motivated people, that information is kind of productive. There's also a very dangerous thing of the non-intrinsically motivated folks will overly associate with like, that's eh, it's down 0.1 per, 1% on my jump or I reported with four. Yeah, man, I don't think I got it today. Like, Get out of here. Get on the rack and go. Where I think velocity is where the buck stops, right? And we call, we have Jim Aware, which is an amazing tool. And, you know, that would be in the gold standard era, right range with uh, Devin's intent book. We call it Coach Jim Aware is going to have the final say on what you live today. Like I just told you, your wellness is down, your jump performance is down, but Coach Jumor is going to decide what you do and don't lift today. So if she says that you're not doing a great job in the rack, you got to go down and wait, get more rest or go drop in volume. And as we break it down, you know, like I, that's where I get my support structure, right? And I got a lot of young coaches, first job, first job out of college type coaches, telling someone maybe is 10, 15 years or senior with. A lot of success and there are right who are basically a member for a long time in our gym to say rely on your hardware right if jim aware is saying that they're slow they know they need to go lighter if you're not telling them to go lighter coach jim aware just said it yeah you're not going to trick coach jim Aware. yeah he she she always knows what's right you know and I, that's where i've come full circle on things like velocity based training because i was a big weightlifting background and one of the things that i always thought was really hard about velocity is it's shortest distance between two points in a straight line and weightlifting is not a straight line. It's a S curve and it's natural. So if we look at and especially like the way you do it, right? You know how I Olympic lift if I make bar body contact, it will it will zero out my velocity once I make contact, which is a problem, right? Especially as it gets heavier. And I would say that that's not longer an S curve. That's two movements. You know, it's a deadlift to a crappy clean. And okay, well it's a good reminder of I need to brush, not bounce because I'm getting to zero velocity. But on the other end, it's, it's going to move backwards and forward. And I don't want to alter that bar path because I want to get a faster number. Now, where it doesn't necessarily have that same relationship is squat, bench, deadlift. And you go, okay, well, it is a straight line. And that's okay. A little bit of an arc. But the straighter, the probably the better. And the more we can accommodate our ankle, knees, and hips, relatively speaking, to that bar, Probably the better that we're going to be or more efficient. And I think that's the game. It's understanding where does that tool fit within the the methods or the techniques that you use. And instead of fighting it, instead of saying, well, this is not a great tool for this one particular exercise, find the tool that it is and have it have it support you in ways that you need. And you can get into the data analysis and collecting all the velocities on every single lift and maybe extrapolate some some rep maxes or getting some sort of time spent in the the four quadrants of speed zone of absolute strength, strength, speed, speed, strength. And then um, what absolute speed or velocity, max velocity, you know, that dynamic of, okay, well, I'm spending more time in this specific velocity zone. In theory, I should be able to see that translate into better velocity here or if I look at a force velocity profile there you can get there but on the other hand it's just from boots in the ground fighting a good fight of making sure that your athletes are getting good work to rest ratio good volume intensity tonnage frequency to rest ratio you can use velocity and jumps
1: and even wellness to support that right it's very easy to say like hey that like you do not even have to be like take weight off the bar it's like hey that was a pretty slow lift what was your speed on that uh, I was, it was pretty slow, Coach. Like I should probably take some weight off. Like, yeah, good call. Next step, go ahead and take care of that. Like, Coach Jim, we're definitely handle that for you, so we can get so many data points from force plates, velocity based training, GPS. Like, depending on how many tests you're running and what kind of tech you have, that could be thousands upon thousands of data points. Do you use any software to organize that info, or what? What do you recommend?
0: Yeah, so I think the data collection will be the most important step here in the next five, 10 years, because I think everyone will agree that we are great at collecting data. We're not great at doing something with the data. And now on the other part, um, and this kind of gets into, there are models that are way ahead of us on this, like retail and um, medicine, and even looking at like viewership on social media platforms. Like they are really understanding how big data and huge, huge inputs are going to influence the future of their businesses, their practices, everything that they do. And I would look at that as, okay, we're, we're we're on the front end of data collection and we are on the front end of really determining what is the best hardware. And we're on the front end of determining the hardware versus the testing methods and the value of that data. And we're, we're We're constantly working and tinkering, but in the back end, it gets into a very hard and very, very complex environment of how quality is that data and how much that data is relevant to the task. And then it goes into, well, what are my influence and biases on this data? And if I really like a number, or if I really resonate with a metric, I can overstate the value of that. And that's where I think we got to really look at maybe something like machine learning or artificial intelligence to detach us from that bias, that perceived value, that association with whatever that number is. But on the other end, it goes into how do we corral into a centralized location or hub, all of these data points. And how do we create some sort of harmonious ecosystem of all those data points together, right? And the disassociation of wicked correlated data points to the stronger association with more correlated data points is something that I don't think humans, especially the amount of information and what we find with big data in general is are capable of doing at a high level or consistent. Just statistical error is going to be really high and the association with we're going to do whatever we think is true anyway is going to be high. And I, I would argue as we start to look at these hubs that are collecting data, and I would argue that these hubs are going to use potentially some sort of artificial intelligence to interpret that data. On the other end, it's going to be the responsibility to being open minded to that data and being very, very cognizant of, I went in this my own perception and bias, so I can influence this a number of ways, regardless of what AI is telling us. I can influence it from my testing method, methods and procedures. I can influence by the hardware that I use. I can influence it by, on the other end of, like, that's wrong. I don't believe that. You know, that's just, that's not right. You know, that can't be right. Like, they just basically pumped in thousands and thousands of data points. And then you get this thing that says, you get the unified theory of training that comes out and it says, Do this less, you know, like do do more, do more split squats over back squat. No, that's wrong. Yeah. And the buck's always going to stop with humans. Uh, And we could argue like to the cows come home of like, don't let the machines win and give them a, a chance here to take our jobs. But I would argue too, like probably less human influence on certain decisions is not a bad thing especially with some of the decisions some places are making at the level that they're making it with the people, the amount of people and the amount of people with high stakes they're making with. Uh, but again, like it goes into the, this is a frontier that we have to get to. And, you know, we're in the wild west of there's a very high competitive landscape for a bunch of different tools to test a bunch of different or, or same thing. So we have several tools for jumping and GPS and, and uh, Velocity, we have several tools for other things that we didn't even talk about, looking at isolated joint action or looking at isolated joint strength. We have several tools of just in general, like wearables and stuff like that, which we'll talk about here with Eric in the future. But it, it, it's, it's a really interesting space when we have those, this many tools and they're all effectively doing similar things. But on the other end, it's how do we organize and corral that data when each one of them has their own proprietary API link that doesn't sync with them, and they have their own perspective of sharing information or not sharing information. And then the data comes in in a very unique way, right? So looking at the difference between like Catapult and GP Sport, like the absorption of that data into a centralized hub is massively different. So these hubs have to scramble and struggle to keep up with the terminology or the nomenclature that these companies use and organize the data and the data could be oh wow this looks like a consistent number versus we just talked about it between whoop and aura but like hrv scores for aura and whoop are drastically different like massive like a massive difference and so if we're coordinating that stuff to a data consolidating platform they're gonna go i don't know which one's right i don't know which one's wrong i don't know how to say this is good or bad i'll say i'm wearing both and i I work with a handful of clients, and we do try to use that. I'm partnering with a company called Realize Me. Big shout out to them; yeah, they're awesome. But we run into this issue all the time of like Garmin, Aura, Whoop are drastically different for the same metrics. I mean, like night and day. And it's like people always tell me, like, I'm a Whoop guy, so I, I'm going to wear that. Like, is that more accurate? Like, if you want it to be? Well, it doesn't. When it gets to realize, it doesn't really give you meaningful information. Like, yeah, because it's drastically different than Aura, and Aura is drastically different than Whoop, and it's hard to make a, an appraisal of what's good or bad, especially when there's that much variance. Over time, and with human willingness and appreciation for just, we're fallible, and we're biased, and we have these flaws, that's going to manifest into some sort of hub, and then some sort of management software, and then some sort of dashboard or dashboard than management where we can get into this paradigm of saying all of that stuff collectively makes me better because I can make better decisions, I can communicate better to our coaches and I can explain and articulate better to our athletes. It's the decisions and understanding that's going to go up from having a better transfer of information from the front end and back end. And you could look at it from if I let the machines take my job Machines still need us to do the data collection. But that's the most important part of all this, Corey. It's this idea of where we fit in with all data collection and all data interpretation and hardware, software, management of that software, all that stuff is is so awesome, but it's completely objectively destroyed or made by us as humans. And that's where we
1: gotta really figure out our role with all of it. Right. The data is only as good as you can use it and implement it. And it's very easy to also use it to confirm your own biases. So with with the emergence of AI, hopefully we can have some more open-mindedness towards that and have a willingness to look at this data and be like, oh, okay. So my hypothesis is way off. Let's make an adjustment here.
0: Yeah, sweet.
1: Yeah, no, man, I appreciate you uh, asking all these
0: questions, man. We got Sean on here next. So we got a, we got a lot to unpack here still. Yeah. Hayes always
1: brings uh, the intensity. All right, Corey, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Tim. You too. If you like what we're talking
0: about here on this podcast, you're definitely going to love this next thing. It's called Strength Deficit, your seminal resource to developing eccentric versus concentric ability with your athletes. We have a book. We have courses. We have everything you need to be able to implement, understand, and be the best strength deficit practitioner you could possibly be. You can get all of these resources at phpodcast.com and you'll become the best, and I mean this, the best possible strength coach in your setting.
2: When we came out to do this combine, it started back in the season of uh, last season. So XFL season one near the end, we kind of had an idea of what we were going to do. Like, hey, we're going to have a combine at this time. So the juices started getting flowing way back, way before I want to say week nine, week 10 of season one. And then so from there, it kind of just developed. And what we wanted to think as as how to do this was how do we do something different from a combine that you that we all are accustomed to, right? So specifically in football, there's the king, the NFL combine, and there's been years and years of good um, groundwork laid, foundation foundations laid by that combine. How can we improve upon that, right? Not to say that that's bad or the the combine is 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 crap. No, that they've laid some really good foundational stuff for us. How can we improve it? How can we make it specific to the XFL? That's what we wanted to try to set out and do. So how to? So in order to do that, we looked at what do we use in the XFL? What do te, what technology do we use? We use Vald force plates. We use Vald Dynamo uh, grip devices. We use Vitruv velocity based training tools. So we use catapult GPS tracker. Because we use those in our league throughout the season, we wanted to be specific and use those in our combine. We felt like it was a really good opportunity to try to change the nature of these tests and make them, make them center around that type of technology. So we were getting two things, I, I believe. One, have a different combine to kind of take a step forward and be a little more innovative, live it more... Uh, uh, technology-friendly, a little bit more in that newer age. And then the second thing is specific to the league. So when you talk about the XFL and eight teams in one organization, you can really benefit that league as far as scouting, as far as coaching, as far as development and, and performance. Because hear me out. If I'm a coach and I'm a scout, right, and this guy gets cut from this team, and I'm looking at that, and I'm 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 over here on this team, and that guy's he just got cut by this team, and I'm looking at him. Do I want to take him on my team? Wouldn't it be good to have data that you know compares him to the rest of that league, right? So wouldn't it be wouldn't it be uh, advantageous for us and our scouts to kind of know, hey we're comparing apples to apples. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to kind of, hey, it's a chance for us to take a step in the new direction and innovative and be innovative because that's one of our foundations and our pillars are the XFL. And then it was a chance to be specific to our lead. So um, that's kind of what we wanted to do with the combine. And I think when we came out of it, we accomplished that. I'm um, Sure, it can always get better and we can learn for, for next year. But I feel like we accomplished those two things, and it's you know excited about it. So I can go into uh, more detail of what that looked like and and kind of um, how everything broken down.
0: Yeah, let's well, let's get to that here in a second. But I want to kind of get a little context here. So your background was with WWE. You worked with NXT, and you kind of cultivated a a combine that was specific to that because the difference between Right now, your circumstance with the XFL and what it was with WWE was talent identification is not as... Easy as the NFL has it, right? And one of the things that we would always talk about with combine athletes is 90% of the evaluation process is already done. Like you already have basically laid down this much tape. They know what kind of player you are. They know how fast you are. They know what kind of guy they're going to get the next level. The only thing you can do is screw up this next 10% of doing something stupid, coming out of shape, basically ruining that, all that tape that you lay down and basically lowering your value, which the combine has this weird connotation about it, right? And people pay forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 for training to go to a place where basically just don't screw it up. The irony is most of those guys go and think about this as a paid vacation coming out of shape and look like crap for either the combine or their pro day, and they lower their stock as opposed to just stay in good shape, keep working out. If you are going to do a combine, whether it's a 40, pro agility, L drill, vertical jump, broad jump, bench, just make sure that you're going to put up at least in that 50 percentile numbers. So if you have really good tape, it doesn't deter you. Or if you are a really poor player, you don't have a lot of great tape, you're not invited to combine, you can excel at pro day. But different meaning that you're going off a little different pretense that you're opening up the, the net and you're saying, how do we find diamonds in the rough that no one else is looking at that's needs a chance to get some tape, play professional football, to go through that. Same thing with WWE. So that was kind of the genesis of like what test actually allows us to identify talent faster that maybe other people don't appreciate. So walk us through that process of some of the tests that you do with that context of you don't have the just the organic nature of like you played football for four years at a power five school. And it's a pretty much a no brainer that you're going to go to the combine. And then you know where you're going to go and land in that seven, seven draft period. Like where XFL has to take a different approach and even WWE, like what was the process of trying to find undervalued people and the testing selection that you utilize for that?
2: That's a great point. What we tried to do is we try to utilize and really dive into the, the piece of technology that we had. So specifically with the vault force plates, we felt like, um, with the counter movement jump, because we test that throughout the year, we have all this really good data, right? So we tested guys like kind of like weekly monitoring and we could get these numbers on our athletes. So at the end of the year, we looked at, who are our, we know who our best players were, best performers, right? Let's just take, uh, I'll throw some names out there like, uh, Ben DiNucci, right? He had a really good season. Um, we had guys like Luke Barku was a really good defensive back. Like these guys are in NFL training camps right now. So we knew who our, our top performers were. What were their force play numbers? Right. And we looked at that and now coaches know. Now coaches might not know the for- the force plate data like you and I know them, but they know how good that guy did this season. So we wanted to take everybody's data and say, "Here's your top performers. Here's what their force plate numbers were." And we wanted to really specifically look at four categories on the force plate number. You didn't want to get we didn't want to go dive into the weeds too much. We were like, "Keep this plain and simple, kind of like very much like your strength deficit book." Got a lot of, you know, basically just took that concept and tried to make that something to where everybody could understand. The four that we wanted to look at on CMJ jump, hands-on hips, is jump height. Everybody knows that one, okay? We wanted to look at RSI. We wanted to look at pound for pound power, so power divided by your body mass, and we wanted to look at the power divided by body weight, RSI, jump height, and concentric impulse. So by looking at those four, we we felt like we could get a really good really good base in uh, of of what an athlete what that person's abilities are right so if you look at from a standpoint like a Luke Barku he was a defensive back in the NFL camp now run of our best DBs his RSI was really high so we were able to take talk to coaches that guy was really good on the field, wasn't he? You know how you know how good he was, was able to react react and stick his foot in the ground and break in the ball. You see that RSI, 1.2, pretty that's pretty high, right? That's what we're looking for. So when you are looking at DBs, we want to look at that high RSI quality. If you, let's take a lineman, defensive lineman, that person that was really a good performer, we can look at their concentric impulse and say, "Wow, you see that numbers in the 400s, that's pretty good, right?" Like that guy was Pretty forceful. He's got to put his two feet in the ground, and he's got to move another person for his job. So we, we, hey, I want you to, I want you to kind of look at concentric impulse here, coaches. So that now we're trying to teach coaches what is RSI. We just calling that quick twitch, and and concentric impulse. We're just calling that strength or, or force. So taking these abilities or qualities and trying to put them in uh, different, like what's important for each position. If, if you look at pound for pound power. That, that is really uh, important for like our combo guys, our running backs, our linebackers. Why? Because they got to be pound for pound strong. They're kind of that middle ground, right? They're not quite linemen. And they're not quite secondary. They're in between. So having that pound for pound power is really important for that position. If I'm a running back, I got to be fast, but I got to deliver a blow and run over somebody. Same thing as a linebacker. So when we're talking to our coaches, hey, I really want you to focus on that pound for pound power when you're looking at combo guys. And then obviously jump height, we all know we all know what that means. This guy, how high can this guy get up in the, from the ground? So we wanted to dive into those four metrics. So for the force plates, we're kind of saying, look at this, coaches. When you're when you're not, we're looking at that combine, and you're getting this guy's forty and this pro agility. That's all great. This will add to it this will help you in your decision-making because now you have apples to apples to compare to the league. And it's specific to the XFL. You might not know what everybody else's RSI is. You might not know what everybody else's concentric impulse is, but you're going to know what the XFL players' concentric impulse is. You're going to know what their RSI is. And then when you're talking about how to formulate a league, how to draft, it becomes really important because now that they know, Hey, if I want a guy that, that helped us last year, Who's our next person to that? Who's our next Bandanucci? Who's our next Luke Barku? Not only that, but it helps in the sense of player development, right? So let's say we're in season eight of the XFL, right? Let's just put ourselves seven years ahead. If we have good data for seven years and we continue to put guys in the NFL and you continue to get this data, RSI, concentric impulse, and we – Time after time, year after year, send guys to the NFL. As coaches, as performance coaches, we have objective data to tell the players what you need to make it to the NFL. If you're a DB, you got it. We see this. We see RSI from here to here. That's, hey man, if if you get that, you got a really good shot at making it in the NFL. Lineman, your concentric impulse. We haven't seen a guy make the NFL that's less than 300 concentric impulse. So from a development standpoint, we it's really, really good. And, and we're trying to be the king of uh, spring league here, right? Like that's what we're trying to be. That's our league. We want to be the dominant spring league. So what better way to do that than to provide great information and great development to players? So it's twofold. It's helping the league, helping coaches, helping scouts, and then it's helping players uh, develop and know, giving them that answer, right? Like like I always used to hate that answer when somebody would ask us, how do I get better? What do I need to do to get to the next level? And then the answer is like, you gotta work harder, right? Like extra work, extra foam roll. Well, now we're able to like dive in, like you really wanna know? Like you gotta get your RSI higher. You gotta, you gotta get your your strength higher. So now we can kind of narrow that that those answers down and give them a more direct approach to getting better. So th- from a force plate standpoint, those were the metrics we're kind of looking at. And then we kind of took that same concept for each of our pieces of technology so that we weren't just getting blind numbers. We really wanted to to steer this in the right direction and give these coaches specific things to look at.
0: You know, for the listener out there, what I want you to pause and take a second to realize is imagine yourself in this situation of you have a startup league with new players, 100% new coaches, 100% new administrations, sports med, everybody. I mean, it's completely start from scratch. And the question you would have to ask yourself is, what would I do? It's a hard thing when you actually realize what actually the thing that you would fall back on is, hey, of all the th- stuff we talk about, if I work in the NFL or high, uh, power five college football, it's you just get grandfathered in. We got to do these tests. We got to do these generic things that's been always done because that's you number one to shake shake it up or rock the boat. And then you get presented with the situation of, okay, well, I have a completely clean slate and I can do testing that's never been done before. What the real Great limiting step would be, and this is what Sean just did a really good job of describing, is learning how to communicate this information for these seemingly novel tests. Like it's, like like Sean said, it's we know this second nature between him and I and a lot of listeners out there, but that coach doesn't, that athlete doesn't, that person that is owner of the league doesn't. And you shouldn't take that for granted. You shouldn't be, hey, I'm dismissive because they don't understand this. You are the expert. They're not. And what you really need to do is be able to create a metaphor, an analogy that they can easily understand. So Sean just broke it down. Four big metrics, jump height, power by body mass, RSI, and impulse. And then he gave how that description of, one, what that means in terms of playing in the NFL – or being a high performer within the XFL, and then two, how they're using that to track and quantify training loads within the season. And I think that's the next section I have because you're doing a really good job of describing how the baseline testing completely inserts into the ongoing testing. So walk us through that process now when you get to the season. They've gone through the combine, they're going to be added to a roster, and then now they're on the actual roster. What test based off the combine are you continuing do you do a baseline and you start to whittle it down to key metrics throughout the season or are you trying to keep the same test that you do throughout the entire season based off what you did in the baseline
2: yeah that's a great question we'll we will do the same things for baseline so we will get guys uh cmj double um two leg jump on the force plate we will probably do single leg on baseline too just just to red flag stuff right like it doesn't take a whole lot of time to add some of that stuff in so we might as well just for like just to tell athletic trainers hey, might want to take a look at this but for the most part we want to just get those same tests um it's cm it's the cmj it's grip squeeze right we will throw in the nordic uh isometric hold there and i'm going to tell you why Because now that we might, even though we might not test it regularly, like we want to test the CMJ and the grip, regular basis, all teams. Okay. But we also want to capture a few more things in in that assessment, in that baseline, and here's why. Return to play. In the XFL, we have a unique thing called the center of X, right? So we're all in, picture this, all eight teams in Arlington, Let's say somebody goes out for, and and they're going to be out of action for two to three weeks, maybe four weeks, hell, maybe even six weeks, and it doesn't make sense for them to cut the guy and go home, but you know what? They got a shot at coming back. They're going to send that person to the center of X. It's a centralized hub. Here's how it comes into play for return to play. Now, if we got their baseline when they first arrived, the, the regular test, but also some of these different tests that we like groin squeeze, We have centered around the common injuries, right? Hamstring, groin, ankle. Maybe we do a balance test. Maybe we do um, some things like that, shoulder, but now uh, a push-up test. So now that they come in and whatever that injury is, knee, hamstring, groin, shoulder, we're able to compare that to what his baseline was. So now we let's say the guys put a shoulder and when we get them on that push-up, we're going to say, is that comparable how does that stack up to when he first arrived here so we're kind of take the common injuries that we see in 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 football and I'll just say hey it's it's foot, ankle, Achilles. We can group that into one. It's knee, it's hamstring, it's groin, it's shoulder. Those that's that's a big buckets of things. Sure there's other injuries, but we can we can say that those are the five big ones. If we can try to get some baseline test around that, knowing that those are our biggest injuries, hey we got a good shot of, of helping these guys return to play because we got something on them when they first arrived So it we and, and then and then from if they if we continue to get their monitoring right their CMJ their grip, Obviously, that we know what their baseline is on that because we're getting out on a regular basis. So we feel like the CMJ and the grip are really good readiness tests. And then we feel like those other tests are just centered around common injuries that we're gonna see. We know it's the game of football. We know we're gonna get in, we, we're gonna have injuries. How can we get out in front of that? How can we get baseline numbers on those? So during our assessments and when a player arrives all our players arrive. We want to focus on on those five areas and capture that so that when they do get hurt, hopefully they don't. But we know we know in the game it happens. Hey, we got some really good information on them when they first got here that that we can say, confidence wise, we feel good about this person going back. And it's also a big a big, a big piece of technology that goes into that is catapult. So if we can get uh, their catapult numbers in the in the beginning which we feel like you know we're going to have we're going to have that capability because we have it on them all all year long but if we can get them running at, in the beginning as well some flyings some takeoffs we get their max acceleration we get their max velo now when they do cut, uh, get hurt and they come back it's like this is, is this person hitting 80, 90, 95% of their max velo? If we're able to take that information and hand it to the doctor. When that doctor gives the final clearance, he has really good information to, to go off of, to go along with his, his assessments and everything. So we feel like if we can capture that stuff in our baseline, it's doing the players a good service to, to, to not only give the coaches and the doctors confidence, but the player seeing is believing, right? If if I wanna show if I'm doing RTP with the with the player and I wanna get him back, man, like his eyes light up when it shows, man, I ran 90%. Like that gives the confidence in them because, you know, confidence is everything in this game. So it's not just for the coaches, it's not just for athletic trainers and medical staff. It's for the player too, so that they can they can feel good about themselves. Like, yeah, man, my, my hamstring does feel good, you know so uh, we we capture that in the beginning in the in the early on stages of of player arrival.
0: You know, it's funny the, and this is might come off as a weird uh, analogy here, but they always talk about the person that can cure balding will be a billionaire, the richest person who ever lived. Same thing with a football strength coach that can kind of figure out and crack the code of reducing and limiting hamstring re-injuries to zero, if. Person gets a hamstring injury, they're done, right? They're, they're going to be constantly in fear of getting a hamstring. It's like an annual thing, right? As soon as they get that first hamstring pull every year, it's like one to come and one to come. And they're always thinking that the back of mind sports medicine, that strength conditioning, everybody. And if you can kind of crack the code, and I think you kind of alluded to it of like, let's just. Start to get baseline metrics and know what their actual top speed is or know what their actual strength is or know what their actual function is from maybe a biomechanical perspective. And then you start to chip away of like, I know what their optimal is before they're injured. And if they're working at a suboptimal level based off of these things, then we know that we need to be either conservative from a workload perspective or a top speed perspective, or just an actual force into that hamstring perspective. We just need to be really, really strategic about where, what, and how much we do. And I think that part too, it's like you basically, again, going into like this other really big elephant in the room and anyone who's ever worked with Division III, FCS, Non-Power 5 football or even like Power 5 football on what we call like the lower rungs of those schools or NFL teams or now XFL. It's, it's this dynamic of you probably got 22 players that can actually do it at a high level and the 23rd is not going to get you where you want to go. So you need to figure out how you can get your top 22, 11, 11 on offense and defense, playing all 10, 12 games and practicing every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and hopefully going on into some sort of postseason. And if you can get that, then you're probably gonna be really successful and have a really good career and last a long time. But if you kind of always, always kind of like skirt that issue and don't really like you know, whatever, you know, it's on them. They have weak hamstrings or have a weak mindset and their hamstrings are a product of that. You know, you're never gonna really make it past that.
2: Well, you're, you're, you're you talk about that and the hamstring specifically, what man, that's an ongoing conversation that we have with our staff. It's, um, we, we tried, we knew that was going to be a, a problem. We wanted to try to uh, account for that last year. So we did this thing called a ramp up period. So um, when they arrived, we assessed them. And then we did a three-day ramp up period before they got into their like actual training camp. And then, so now we're talking like, how did that go? You know, what 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 did we, what did we learn from that? And we're in early talks, but man, you, you, know, you know what we keep going back to? Man, we need to even... Even start slower. You know what I mean? Like, like we need to even progress more towards that top speed. It's not so much duration. Like, you know, we said time limit on, you know, 85 minutes, 95 minutes, 105 minutes and, and try to do something like that. But it wasn't necessarily a time. It's it's more intensity, right? Because, you know, these guys, if you tell them you know, sprint 75, it's, it's, they're, they're going all out, you know, they're trying to make this team. So how can we dial that intensity back down? And we're talking about using things like sleds, using things like med balls, uh, using things like that in that ramp up period, just to even cut down on that intensity, you know? So we're um, it's, it's very much like, you know, I'm not talking like I have the answers, but how can we avoid going zero to 100, right? How can we go baby step, baby step, baby step? So, you know, if you have somebody that's never worked out before, let's go body weight, you know, week one, even week two. Okay, week three, maybe you put five pounds. Maybe you don't even put weight. You just change position. And then, you know, here it is by and a month from now, it's worked out to where, you know, we, you've progressed that individual.
0: Yeah, and the the element which is so important here, which, as we start to talk about what data has an influence in terms of decisions and the training that we do, becomes more apparent that we need to one believe in testing, and then two, one have it uh, have it really organized, and then the to be would be, how do we disseminate that to coaches? So that's the next kind of series I want to go into is, you know, what, what end stuff, like the software element of this, how are you organizing this data? How are you relaying that information to your staff, your coaches, your players, you know, what is that next step after collecting the data?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to show you, um, I'm going to show you a couple dashboards that we took from our combine. And then, and then I'll show you, I, I don't know if I, I can show you this. We haven't created it yet, but I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea of what we want to do as far as the dashboards and communicate that that catapult data, that force plate data throughout the season. So,
0: Sean, it's a perfect plug. If you are not a member of the PH curriculum, you will not be able to see this. So become a member now so you can see these dashboards live in effect and have Coach Hayes take you through every one of them step by step. PHpodcast.com. Or go ahead. <laughs> All
2: right, so great. You can see the screen here. This, our man, Dylan Lowenstein, another PH um, member that got, you know, he's done everything and he's taken all your classes, all your, all of your um, readings and which really helps him become a great coach along with his personality and work ethic. He, he created this great dashboard right here. So this was for all of our players that did the combine and we will have something like this for all of our players in the XFL. Let's take this guy, Austin he had some metrics up top here that he did at a pro day or at a regional combine. Right. Why do we have that up there? Because you know what? Some coaches, they like that information, right? We don't want to just go say, you know what? Everything that we've done in the past, screw it. Hey, if you want to know this guy's 40, great, man. Like there it is. But Hey, down here, this is XFL stuff, right? And now we can kind of see those are our four metrics. We talked about jump height, quick twitch, P for P power, pound for pound power. People know what that means in max strength. Um, that's concentric impulse. And then we got vault grip testing. We got catapult. These are our two metrics for catapult, top speed, max deceleration, and then we have bench press. What's the 57 strength percentile? That's telling you where he ranked as far as his top strength. So his force and then his peak power and then his pound for pound power. And then you got to see over here to the right, a positional average where the other tight ends stacked and then what his overall score was. So his overall score is 52 from a, from all together. And then how does that stack up to the other tight ends that were at the combine? So that what, what is important for this? This is important because now when I'm selecting players in a draft, I can say, man, how does he stack up with other tight ends? Let's say I'm really concerned about speed. I I have it right there. What that what what's that guy's top speed? Let, what about jump height? It's right there. So now these coaches have that in a quick snapshot. Plus they got their film right. Obviously they're gonna watch tape. But now they clip they have this sheet and they say they got a snapshot. How he compares? What is what his XFL score is? The other thing that's this important for is that let's say Austin does get on a team this year. Let's say he is in the XFL. Well. Let's say he gets hurt. The athletic trainer has this and he's able to test them in baseline. Guess what? Those are his baseline, right? That's what he's done for us in the past. So like, is he far away from that? Is he getting close to that? So when we talk about, you know, communication with the coaches, you, you get the coaches on board. You know, with the combine served as it was a week long event. So the first couple of days were league meeting wise. So we were able to sit in front of all of our coaches and our um, and our uh, our staff members, and 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 I had a chance twenty minutes to go over this stuff. And it was it was it's great to do one on one, right? Zoom is great and everything, but you know what? One on one, you can really try to you know uh, get get the juice going, be loud, you know, talk, be passionate, and then man, people are like, man, that's sweet. So when you're talking about sticking your foot in the ground and reacting, coaches know that. Hines Ward knows that. Terrell Buckley knows that. When you talk about two feet in the ground and driving somebody back, you know, Bob Stoops understands that. And all you got to do is say, what I just did, that's impulse. What I just did, that's RSI. So now we kind of did that. We had that opportunity to do that in, in person, which was huge. Then we did the combine. Now we have these dashboards and we give them out to the coaches. And then we go to the coaches, and you know, this is where like we go in person and we might do the one-on-one. You good with that? You check that? You check that dashboard? You good with everything? Is everything you understand that? Yeah, quick twitch, pound for pound power. Okay, cool. Let's you might you're not going to get all eight teams on board, but you might get 3 of them. You you get, you might get three really bought in. And then now here comes 4, and then here comes 5, and then here comes 6, and the next thing you know, year after year, We got everybody on board. And then now you talk about starting from scratch. How would you do this? Okay. You invested the time in doing this. And then now it's like this whole nother league. It's like this whole nother universe, right? Where it's like, this is how the XFL does it. You know, they, they look at, you know, the 40 might, may not be the most important thing to them. Maybe it's RSI. Maybe it's concentric impulse. You know, maybe, maybe the 40 still reigns supreme, but guess what? The next thing they're looking at is impulse in RSI. So like, so it's, It takes the time. It's the time investing into that, and that dashboard we created that plays a big part in that. The other thing that's going to play a big part in that is our catapult data. All right, weekly catapult data. Two things I'm going to talk about. One, we know we have all this data from season one with catapult, right? In game data, practice data, training camp data. We can take that. And reverse engineer and say, how much do these guys need to run for that first week of training camp? Is it 5,000 yards? Okay. Then, then what's the best way to get them ready for that, right? How do we get them? Do we want them running 3,000 yards on the end of ramp up? Maybe, you know, maybe that's a good, maybe it's 3,500, something like that. It can't be 500 yards. I know that, you know, but we, what's the, we can reverse engineer that data. What's their game data? What do we need them to get to the game? And then the other thing is for the coaches, how did this week look like from a snapshot? Okay, coach. All right, I'm going to Terrell Buckley. Exactly what we just did with concentric impulse, RSI and, 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 and jump height, things like that. How do we make that in layman terms? We take the catapult data. We give four, maybe three key data points, player low, long distance yardage, total yardage, maybe top speeds at a certain a certain distance. Whatever those 3 to 4 metrics are, we break those down really simply and we can we we give them to the coach and say, "Boom, coach, here's what we're looking at. In person, here's what this means, there's what this means." And then now they're able to say, "You know what, my players need some of that extra load because I want it to be that way or man. Okay. Maybe they did do a lot. I'm going to dial back. And we, and we kind of give them more information to make better informed decisions. So the dashboards really come into play for us to connecting to the coaches, right? It, it's that visual seeing is believing, right? I, I said it before. If I'm a, if I'm trying to tell, I, I'll give you an example of WWE, WWE athletes, they never, you never had to motivate them to get in the gym. When you, when you, when you're on TV with your shirt off, that's intrinsic motivation. What you had to do was tell them to dial it back, not train every day, not take the weekend and run themselves into the ground. Big way to do that, big way to connect with that, was to show them their RSI drop off, was to show them their jump height drop off. When they saw that drop off, light bulb goes in the head. Maybe those deadlift sessions, squat sessions on Saturday and Sunday aren't helping me. Okay, but you got to see it. Same thing with the coaches. Now the coaches are the athletes. If you show them the catapult data and you show them the actual workload, maybe light bulb comes off. Okay. Yeah, that, that is right. Okay. If I'm running this in a game, right. And then I ran this at practice and the game is here. Maybe now light bulb goes off. Maybe he sees that, you know, and he's able to make better decisions. So the dashboards become important because that seeing is believing. You got you got to be able to see what you're looking at. That dashboard I showed, pretty simple. It's not too much. It's not it's not oh man uh, overload. Same thing with the with the with the coaches. We can't overload them. We can't lose them. We got one shot at it. All right. We're not going to be able to 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 try it and 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 you know what that didn't work. Go back. We got one shot at it. We got to make it right and we got to improve on it. Less is more probably in the beginning and then we build. So. Dashboard's becoming really important for us. And, you know, I. Uh, the goal is this season, this season is to get better and to have a uniform approach throughout the league to show our coaches. Last year, we didn't really know what to expect. We said, hey, talk to your coaches how you want to, how to communicate that. This year, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach and we're going to say, here's how we would do it. Here's coaches. Here's the five, the four we want to talk about. Here's the dashboard. Show it to your coaches. If you want to add on anything, if there's certain metrics that you like outside of that, feel free. But here's what we feel like makes your job easier. You don't have to do all the work. We did it for you. Boom. Go have that conversation with Terrell Buckley. Go have that conversation with Heinz Ward. Here's, here's how you can present to them. So kind of take, the, take that approach this year. And you know we're excited about that. We'll see how that goes.
0: So I just want to take a second to kind of just recap everything you broke it down. So from the beginning, we're talking about getting baseline measurement, and sometimes on a combine, sometimes it's just hey, like let's start to look at our guys who are coming back and seeing where they're at, and that includes force plate, which you're gonna look at RSI, jump height, power by body mass, and then impulse, which you broken down into quick twitch versus force or strength, max strength. Then you look at uh, a bench test using Vertruve, looking at their velocity zones at maximal intensity. Then you're going to look at a catapult relationship to top speed, top acceleration. You're going to use that as your kind of baseline to determine what you're going to do in season. And that's based off of two parts. One, a dashboard to present to coaches where they percentile rank in terms of an XFL score. But two, of like if it ever gets to the point where they need to do a return to play or just looking at workloads throughout the season, using that metrics to have an influence on how much doing in a ramp up period as well as practice and then finally it's like hey the ultimate end goal is to hey can we have all of our guys that we thought were going to be really top players play the entire season for the XFL and then have the opportunity to maybe potentially get into an NFL training camp. That is a huge win. And you kind of rely more on the metrics to say, this is what we find is correlated to playing a full season, the XFL, and then getting into an NFL training camp. Is that, is that a fair breakdown of what you just described?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it on the head. And, and that's what we wanted. We want to take those metrics because we use those. So we feel like, we have a really good, we have a lot of good data from season one. Season one was collected data, right? Now we felt like we collected that. Man, we feel really good about those numbers because we have so many, you know, cases on them. So uh, 100% right. We're going to take that data and now, okay, let's use that and let's get continue to get better on it. Let's continue to collect more data. Let's continue to take that data and say, um, this is how we can get better from a baseline standpoint from an RTP from a development standpoint and for the for the coaches to make better teams right like when they go out there and they try to select their teams whether you know a lot of times last year we select coaches you know selected guys off waivers right so now they might have a better idea because this guy's RSI is quick more quick twitchy and he's going to come on to this team second half of the year and help them for a playoff push so for a lot of ways individual Team-wise, really good for us. We're really excited. And it's it's. we feel like it's not too much and it's not overbearing, right? It's using velocity-based tools in the weight room, right? Check. We want to do that, right? Because we, we feel like that can self-regulate, monitor load, monitor the intensity. We're running out that practice anyway. You might as well put the vest on. And then, you know what? The jumps and the, and the grip, as long as you know how to do it and you're open-minded, it it's i'm telling you it's not it might seem daunting like oh man i got to get all these players on the, on the on the jump screens but if you can if you know how to do it within the workout right and and know when to do it and groups and kind of time it out man i'm telling you it's worth it because you you, you really get the guys to buy in not everybody is going to be like super on it you know i'm not saying that everybody's going to buy in but especially nowadays Kids want to know what their metrics are more now than ever. So we just feel like it's a no-brainer for us. Um, it is difficult, right? It, 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 it takes time. But I've done it in the WWE with 100-plus athletes. We've seen it done in the XFL last year where it was where we had 50 guys on a roster. It can be done. So we just feel like, you know what, we're, we're it's not too much for us to ask. It is, you know, it, it's not like, oh, man, this is way too much. I got to get catapult. I got to get forceful. I got to do all this stuff. We feel like we can manage it. Uh, we just need to have good guidelines. We need to have support. We need to have you know the coaches that are you know are open minded to it, right? And 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 willing to to go in this direction of of uh, hey, you know, look, we we want to work hard. We want to put that sweat equity in and, and grind. We also want to. Kind of step in the way of innovation, right? XFL is the league of tomorrow. It's the league of opportunity. How can we say we're the league of tomorrow if we're not innovative? If we're not using these this technology, right? We it's on us to do that because why? The the XFL pillars and mission statements say that. So so when you sign up for this job, it's like you know that's what they want to do and. And that's what we have to do. It's like we it's our it's our job. It's our duty to do that. So um, we just feel like it's it's a task and it's you know what it's it, it is it is, you know, time and, you know, sensitive and it, it's, it requires an investment. But you know what? That's an investment that we're willing to go down. And we want to do that because we want to sit here and say, man, we, we help drive the future of football.
0: Awesome, man. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate your time, man. And we'll see you next month.
2: Thanks, Tim. It was awesome.
0: We went through a lot in this episode. And I want to get through this point that you should really understand that the most important thing for anything with testing is going to be great testing methods and procedures. Can you say it's reliable? And then, then the other end, we have a better chance of saying at least it's valid or not. And as we go through this concept of what are good tools to use, where to make investments, what do we need to think about in terms of giving our athletes and coaches and ourselves the best information possible? It starts with that very simple premise of do you have really good testing to begin with? And then you start to add in more, right? You start to invest in force plates. You start to invest in timing gates. You start to invest in GPS. You start to invest in different wearables all to give you better information. But it's a foundation needs to be set of you need to be almost clockwork like when you look at how you gather information. And then on the back end, it's not as daunting or overwhelming because you will create a lot of noise and a lot of ineffective data if you don't have really good methods and procedures for collecting that data. And then from there, you get into, okay, let's start to objectively look at this. Let's start to evaluate what are some really good things I need to know to give to my athletes and coaches to make them as aware and prepared as possible. What are things that I need to know to make the best prescription from a performance and implementing certain stressors? And then the final aspect, it's don't overwhelm yourself with things that are are trivial or non-beneficial, right? There is a concept called the Pareto Principle of 80-20, that 20% of the things that you test for can give you 80% of the information. So think about that. Talked about jumping. We talked about sprinting. We talked about throwing. We talked about things that are going to have a little bit more weight than others, and you just focus on that, and then you zero in on what's going to be the biggest weighted metric that's going to give all of yourself, your athletes, and your coaches that you work with the best information. If you guys aren't a member, I highly suggest you get over to phpodcast.com, become a member of our curriculum. You can go into applications course. You can see all of the resources, all of the notes that Sean and myself went through, as well as the transcript. So if there's something that popped off and you're like, oh, wow, I really want to pause that and see that I'll have the research article where Sean, myself or Corey were alluding to during the actual episode. Hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you guys next week.